Hi, this is Pastor Emily McGinley from Urban Village Church, Hyde Park, Woodlawn. If you've been to UVC, you'll know that we seek to be three things, bold, inclusive, and relevant. We know that there are countless folks across the country and out there in podcast land like yourself, seeking a message that will bring insight, hope, encouragement, and joy as we do this thing called faith. Please consider making a financial gift to help us with this work of inspiring, equipping, and sending out agents of gospel life and inclusive love. Just go to www.urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks for listening, and God bless. Our passage this morning comes from Exodus 3, verses 1 through 12. Listen for what God might be saying to you. Moses was taking care of the flock for his father-in-law Jethro, Midian's priest. He led his flock out to the edge of the desert, and he came to God's mountain called Horeb. The Lord's messenger appeared to him in a flame of fire in the middle of a bush. Moses saw that the bush was in flames, but it did not burn up. Then Moses said to himself, let me check out this amazing sight and find out why the bush isn't burning up. When the Lord saw that he was coming to look, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. Moses said, I'm here. Then the Lord said, don't come any closer. Take off your sandals because you are standing on holy ground. He continued, I am the God of your father, Abraham's God, Isaac's God, Jacob's God. Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I've clearly seen my people oppressed in Egypt. I've heard their cry of injustice because of their slave masters. I know about their pain. I have come down to rescue them from the Egyptians in order to take them out of that land and bring them to a good and broad land, a land that's full of milk and honey, a place where the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites all live. Now the Israelites' cries of injustice have reached me. I've seen just how much the Egyptians have oppressed them. So get going. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I to go to Pharaoh and to bring the Israelites out of Egypt? God said, I will be with you, and this will show you that I am the one who sent you. After you bring the people out of Egypt, you will come back here and worship God on this mountain. May God add a blessing to the hearing and understanding of the scripture. So it is good to be back uh, this morning and to um, worship with you all. Um, yeah, let's come together in a word of prayer. God, thank you so much uh, for pulling us together into this space. Uh, maybe um, our beds felt especially warm today, um, but that uh, the promise of maybe expecting you, of hearing you, of encountering you in a new way outweighed those comforts. And so. God, please make good on that promise. Meet us in this space. Open our hearts and our minds to receive and hear what it is that you have to say to us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So last weekend, if you were here, um, you would have probably noticed that I was not here. Um, I was in Seattle um, attending a marriage workshop uh, with the Gottman Institute. And I'd heard about this workshop several years ago and had always been kind of curious to attend. And as it turns out, having a kid is a pretty traumatic experience, um, both individually as well as 
um, for your marriage or partnership. So the time was kind of ripe for Rich and I to take some time um, to do some intentional work on our marriage. Um, and it was really, really good. You'll probably actually hear me talk about it from time to time um, in the future. So one of the things that we talked about was the value of a stress-reducing conversation. And a stress-reducing conversation is an opportunity for you and your partner to reconnect at the end of the day um, through the practice of empathy. It's a way to be reminded that um, underneath all of the stuff of your relationship, at the bottom of things, you each hear each other and you love each other. So here's how I'm going to invite uh, my pretend partner, uh, Sean, to come up. And um, we're going to model what maybe a stress, oh, thank you, what a stress-reducing um, conversation uh, maybe shouldn't look like uh, and what it should look like. So hi, honey. How was your day? Oh, my day was uh, kind of stressful. I uh, had some uh, issues at work with my manager. Oh, what happened? Well, I was, I was working a deal, trying to sell a car. and. Uh, he just like pulled me to the side and he just like starts yelling at me. He's like, pound in the sticks. Whoa. Sell this car today. Hurry up. And I'm just like, whoa. Huh. <laughs> like, that's what I'm trying to do here. Yeah. What was going on? <laughs> well, the lady, she just couldn't make up her mind between two different cars. One had everything she wanted, but it was a little out of her price range. She could still afford it, though. Mm -hmm. The other had some of the things she wanted. She could definitely afford it, but she just you know, wanted to think about it, you know, have some time to decide. But my manager's just like, this is a now business. We need to do this now. Get it done. Mm -hmm. And Well, I mean, you know, you're like sort of, uh, you kind of like lag behind a little bit. You're, I mean, I don't want to say like you're slow, but like you're kind of, you, 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 you're kind of like, um, just like need a little more aggressiveness, you know? like. I mean, even like when we were dating, right? I mean, I had to like <laughs> encourage everything along. But anyway, so go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. So I just, I've never been that way. Like I'm just real chill. Like so. But you're a salesperson, so right. I mean, that doesn't mean I have to be aggressive. <laughs> Would you buy a car if I'm like buy this car right now? Well, okay, that's true, but. Um, I just sort of think that maybe, uh, maybe he has a point. That's all I'm saying. Like, you know, you could probably like have sort of, you know. What? I mean, we have bills to pay too, so it's not like. <laughs> <laughs> and see. <laughs> so, thank you. Uh, boop, 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 boop. Let's uh, try again. Hey, honey, how was your day? Uh, it was all right. I kind of got into it with my manager a little bit today. Oh no, again? Yeah, he's just really like riding me my case a lot. What and happened? I, well, I was trying to sell a car. This lady, she was a little indecisive, and I guess I was just taking a little too long mm -hmm. for his liking to to mm -hmm. get the deal done. Mm -hmm. Well, I know how much you care about um, making sure that you've like done a good job and uh, helped people feel like they've made a good purchase. Did he didn't really see it that way? No, he's. He's just, yeah, he pulled me to the side, he's yelling at me, oh, pounding no. his fist, saying, get it done, do it now. And I just, I couldn't believe he was talking to me like that. Wow, and you just started, so it feels a little bit like, yeah. you know, anxiety inducing, because oh, yeah. you want to make a good impression. And I want to do well, I want to succeed, yeah. but he was just riding my case, and I'm new, you know? Yeah, well, and I can't, even with, with our financial problems too, like I know that you feel extra pressure around that. Oh, yeah, definitely. 
Yeah. Well, I, you know, I'm sure that there's a place um, somewhere in between, but um, but you're operating out of a different space. I know that um, it's important for you. You kind of see this work as a sort of ministry, and you want to like as a way for you to kind of share your faith um, through taking care of people. And yes, definitely. Yeah, that's tough. Well, I'm really sorry. Can I make you a bowl of your favorite soup? Yes. <laughs> Thank you so much. Stress-reducing conversation, right? It's uh, trying to, to meet people right where they are in their. Uh, thank you to my my faux husband, uh, Sean. You're excellent. You're welcome. I love um, you. But uh, it's a way to meet people where they are, right? Um, and and kind of walk with them in the space of their um, their experience and what they're feeling. Um, and so, in our passage for this morning, I like to kind of think that um, God is sort of engaging Moses in a stress-reducing conversation. Because you see, Moses was in a pretty bad uh, place and had kind of been there for quite some time. Um, so some quick background for folks of you who are like, who's Moses? Um, so uh, first of all, Moses was not supposed to exist. Uh, he was born in a time of genocide, actually. And uh, because of a couple of badass midwives, um, not only was he born, um, but they sent him down a river. And he was found by one of Pharaoh's daughters who decided to adopt him and raise him. So Moses grows up, um, not just like having made it, but really having made it. He's in Pharaoh's palace with power and privilege and access to the best kind of upbringing that you could ever hope to have. Um, but as he grows in his social consciousness, he realizes that the way that he and his, the reason why he and his family um, and other folks in Pharaoh's court are able to live so well um, is uh, born on the backs of the people who look like him. So he grows into a privileged and well-educated young man who also has a huge chip on his shoulder um, and a whole lot of uh, righteous indignation. He's passionate about seeking justice on behalf of the Israelites, um, but really doesn't have any idea of how to go about it. So kind of through good intentions gone bad, he ends up killing an Egyptian who was mistreating a couple of Hebrews. And at the end of it all, um, he ends up being rejected by both Hebrews and Egyptians. Um, so he kind of... Um, he runs. He runs away to another um, kind of rural area. Um, and he settles down and he marries, uh, but the question of his identity still haunts him. He had decided to deal with his past by pretending, trying to pretend it didn't exist. And maybe I thought, I'll just put my past behind me and just keep it moving, right? Except he can't. He is a perpetual foreigner to the Egyptians. He's an Israelite to the Israelites. He's an outsider to his family's wife, which is kind of like, um, not Egyptian, uh, he is the Egyptian. So, um, he, and to make sure that you get it, like earlier in the passage, you, you find out that he has a son and he names his son Gershom, which literally means a foreigner. <laughs> He's spiritually and emotionally homeless. Moses had given up on himself. He had resigned himself to live a life um, lived in obscurity, a nothing life with a nothing job um, and a nothing sense of self. So when we drop in on him this morning in chapter 3, it shouldn't be much of a surprise that he's hanging out um, as a shepherd uh, in the foothills of a mountain named Horeb, which Horeb um, in Hebrew uh, means wasteland, actually. That's probably how he thought of himself, a wasteland, a waste of a human being. But God saw something else, and God saw him, and so God reached out right where he was. 
The thing that you have to remember about this is that even though Moses was a Hebrew by blood, he didn't grow up in a home where he was learning about the God of Israel, right? He was growing up in Pharaoh's court. Maybe he had, he had sort of learned about um, uh, this God as he was, you know, in college doing Egyptian studies or whatever. Um, and he was kind of like think, hearing, reading about this God, right? Um, but he didn't really know this God um, in his own experience. So um, when he sees this burning bush, in a lot of ways, Moses is basically like a blank slate, right? So God reaches out, Moses, Moses. Moses is like, yeah? Stay where you are and take off your shoes. You're on holy ground. Okay, so he's kind of like, all right, let's see what this is about. Takes off the shoes. You don't know me, but I know you, says God. I'm the, I'm the God of your father, Abraham's God, Isaac's God, and Jacob's God. And when he hears this, Moses, I think this is actually really touching. Moses hides his face. Some people would say that it's because God is so powerful and so holy and so overcome that he just instinctively hides his face. And maybe that's true, right? But when I get into Moses' headspace, you know what I think? When do you hide your face? Do you hide your face when you're excited? When you're in awe, when you're amazed? Maybe you cover your mouth, right? But in my observation, more often than not, you hide your face when you're ashamed, when you're embarrassed, overwhelmed maybe. Here's what I think. I think when God tells Moses that he stands in the line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Moses experiences a deep soul healing. After a lifetime of spiritual and emotional and even identity homelessness, Moses is home. He's home. He finds his place of rest in spite of all of his mess. Because God goes down that list, I'm the God of your father. This adopted, identity homeless child, right? I'm the God of your father. I know your father. And all of these people, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God is really saying in all that, you are mine. You belong to me. And you've always been mine. All the way back to the beginning of time. God kind of brings Moses into the, into the family in that moment. And in that moment, something cracks open in Moses. Something cracks open and pours out all of the, the hurt and the pain and the hope and the fear. He doesn't have to hold it in anymore, right? Pretend it never happened. God restores him into the family. This is the moment of Moses' safety and assurance of love. In its own way, it's a kind of stress-reducing conversation, right? A stress-reducing conversation requires vulnerability, that is then met with empathy. Empathy helps us to experience that we are seen and heard. It makes us realize that we're not alone. It's a way to stand in solidarity with someone. Yes, I hear you. I hear you. I'm with you. And we're in this together. But what makes Moses' conversation with God different from one that you might have with your partner or your spouse is that you don't have to recount the stress story, right? God knows that story already. And God knows every story. God knows all of what has made you who you are. So God is ready to meet your vulnerability. You don't have to explain this happened. You just have to be ready and to be in the space to be in relationship with God. And you do that uh, through being vulnerable. 
And God meets that vulnerability with a deep empathy, with a deep love and welcome, and a different story. A story that is not about your past, but about your future. God doesn't run down the list of all the ways that Moses has messed up. Moses has been doing that work for God for many years. Instead, God says to Moses, whatever you think of yourself, it doesn't matter. You stand squarely in my love and my purpose. I see you. I see all of you. I know all of it. I see who you have been, but I also see who you have yet to be. I was with you. I am with you. And I will continue to be with you. God had a vision for Moses, but that vision could only happen if Moses was willing to step into a space of soul healing that God wanted to give to him. And this meant that Moses had to risk being vulnerable with God, to be in a vulnerable relationship. Maybe he was desperate, right? Maybe Moses felt like he had nothing left to lose. But really, it doesn't matter, I think, what his motive was, because he actually did it, right? And once he opened up, once he connected, once he engaged into a deep soul relationship with God, then he was ready to do the work that God had for him. Moses needed that foundation of strength that was rooted in a vulnerable love to be the freedom fighter that God had planned for him to be. But it couldn't happen until he was ready to be vulnerable with God. But it's so, it's so important because it's really, really hard to be a freedom fighter. It's really hard to be a freedom fighter. Maybe you've heard of uh, Marshawn McCarroll. Has anyone here heard of him? one. A poet and an activist, a modern-day freedom fighter. He was known in his community for organizing people for service opportunities at the local level while organizing systemic, against systemic racism with other Black Lives Matter activists. And he was known for being really funny. He had a really great sense of humor. So Marshawn began to struggle with depression after his grandfather died in 2011 and shared that um, with folks that at times his involvement with the protest movement had worsened his mental health. Not only because of the emotional strain of like single-minded focus on racism, which then made him sort of see all the different spaces and places where racism was showing up, um, but also things like media scrutiny and infighting among his colleagues and other activists. At the age of 23, Last week, Marshawn stood on the steps of the Ohio State House, put a gun to his head, and took his life. Marshawn opened himself up to the pain of the world, and it took its toll on him. It took its toll. He became overwhelmed with the immensity of the pain of the many manifestations of racism and the death-dealing capacity of social, institutional, and state power. As with many activists, many activists on the front lines, the mantle he wore was very, very heavy. Now, I don't know the fullness of who Marshawn was, but his story is important because it reveals the very toll that opening yourself up to the pain of this world can have on even the best and the brightest among us. And he was among the best and brightest. And since I don't know what his faith life was like, I will step to the side of his story in this moment. What I believe, though, is that being vulnerable to the pain and the destruction of this world is somehow necessary for
for its restoration. It's important to be vulnerable even in this world that will shoot all kinds of things at you in order to really work toward its restoration. God demonstrated this by taking on flesh, right? That's the story of Advent. And choosing to walk among us, to cry our tears, to bleed our blood, to taste our food. And not just when, walked the, when God walked this earth in the form of Jesus, right? But even this day, as the Spirit dwells among us, God's love find its, finds its most real expression in continual vulnerability, continuing to open up to what this pain has to offer, what this, the pain of this world has to offer. Following God, seeking the wholeness of this world, means choosing that same kind of vulnerability, that same kind of openness that Marchand struggled with. But first, God calls us to be in a relationship where we can be poured into where we are first assured and then reassured and then reassured again and again of God's love and strength, that we're not alone, that there is someone who loves us deeply, who walks with us more closely than we could imagine. Let me make it plain. You can only be vulnerable. You are only strong enough and secure enough to be vulnerable when you have the strength of God's love holding you together and holding you up. It's only possible that way. Our God is not a distant being who stands at arm's length, in, in, you know, uh, unknowing uh, to the deep pain that we've experienced in our lives. No. God invi- invades our space. God invades our space and gets all up in our business. As, as Chris Kuhn, the pastor um, of our uh, South Loop location, put it, um, there is no TMI when it comes to, when it comes to God. When we, the God that we claim in our baptismal response, the God who claims us, who says, you are mine, and in our baptism we say, yes, I am yours. That God is strong enough and secure enough to fully experience the pain of this world and say, yeah, it hurts. It really, really hurts. But it doesn't hurt as much as not being with you. And you are worth it. You are worth it all. It doesn't make sense. But God's strength is in vulnerability. It's the theme of the Old and New Testaments. You are the love of God's life. And when you know who the love of your life is, when it is crystal clear who is at the center of your heart, you're willing to endure anything that comes with it. The slings and arrows, the spit and the slaps, it's worth it. You're worth it. You are worth it. God is most of all God when God gets to love with no bounds, when God gets to love you with an embarrassing, extravagant, overflowing, abundant love. God exhibits a level of vulnerability with us that empowers us toward a liberated love that leads to life. A liberated love that leads to life. You're free. You're free from what this world would like to drag you into and under. Because God is with you, holding you together, holding you up. Marshawn McCarroll knew deeply with every fiber of his being that Black Lives Matter mattered. He knew that he should work to feed the hungry and bring beauty into the world through poetry. 
but he missed something somehow, something very important. For as much as Marshawn wanted to pour out love into this world, God wanted to pour even more love into him. And he needed it. Marshawn needed to experience that love and presence over and over and over again to keep going. He needed it. Not just once. Not just every Sunday or every couple of Sundays in a month. Every day. He needed it. Somehow, I don't know, Somehow it didn't happen. If you read throughout Exodus, you'll see how Moses' leadership unfolds. In my opinion, I think he's kind of like a solid leader, but not especially intelligent, brave, or spiritually enlightened, actually. I mean, he gets the job done, and he sees it through to the best of his ability. I believe it, which isn't bad, right? But here's the thing that you will notice about Moses, I think. Throughout the rest of his life, Moses regularly goes into the tent where God's presence dwells and spends time to reconnect with God. That's the thing that sets him apart. If you read through Exodus, he's not especially impressive. Over and over, though, Moses takes off his shoes and gets vulnerable with God so that God can meet him in his fear and pain and all the things, right, to pour out life and liberated love so that Moses could keep going, keep pushing, keep liberating others. In spite of setbacks, in, sp in spite of sorrows, in spite of schisms and leadership, Moses needed to keep connecting and experiencing God in order to keep going and to see the full liberation of his people. That's the thing that sets him apart. It's hard to risk vulnerability, especially when you are feeling most vulnerable, especially when you are feeling deeply disconnected or weighed down. When you feel this way, when you feel this way, you have to make a conscious choice to turn toward God. Okay, I don't feel like it, but I'm going to take off my shoes and I'm going to go into the tent and see what God has for me now. Moses made a choice. And so must you. So must we all. Choose to take off your sandals, to step out on holy ground and to reconnect with God, to accept God's invitation to be in relationship, not just once, not just that moment when you're like, all right, I'll pray the prayer, I'll come up to the altar, I'll be prayed over, right? But over and over and over again, once is just not enough. Where are your places of holy ground? Where do you spend your days? Where can God meet you? No place is outside of God's reach. Trust me. I've spent many, many days and um, times in, in bathroom stalls in different stores meeting God. <laughs> I mean, God met Moses in the foothills of Wasteland Mountain. Is it in your music playlist or the gym? Is it in a crowdsourced shared meal with people that you kind of know but want to know better? Is it in scripture? Is it in silent meditation? Is it in unison singing on a Sunday morning or Friday night at a concert? Is it on a lakefront trail or the cracked sidewalks of your neighborhood? Is it that daily bus ride, standing, holding that strap while you feel the, the wheels go over the not well-maintained roads? Is it in the pages of your journal or the space between your hands as you pray? Where is your potential holy ground? Where might God find you? Those minutes after your eyes open or when your head goes on the pillow just after the lights go out. Go to holy ground 
and look for burning bushes. They are there. They're there. You just have to open yourself up to them, to see them. And then choose to take off your sandals. Remember God's ongoing invitation to reconnect with you. Find that space, your burning bush places where you are exposed to God's deep, soul-deep love for you and allow God to pour out life and a liberating love for you and for the sake of this world. Other people's lives depend on it. Your life depends on it. Let us pray. God, we thank you that you meet us where we are, even when we feel disconnected and unsure, that you still reach out over and over again. Open our hearts and our minds, our eyes and our hands to receive you, to meet you, and to risk being vulnerable with you so that maybe, just maybe, we might experience life and a liberating love that leads us to new possibilities, not just for ourselves, but for this world that you love so deeply. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you.